0: Harmony. Good
1: morning. Morning. Good morning.
0: Good
1: morning. It's Can you guys
0: hear me? Can you hear me? It's not. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, it Okay. All right. Good morning, Harmony. Uh, Today we are going to look at a passage that really talks uh, about our hearts and our intentions. And to be honest with you, it's actually a passage we went through uh, a couple weeks ago when we had a prayer meeting. Uh, But I got so much feedback on it that I thought it might be something that would be good for for the wider audience to look at. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 6 at the Lord's Prayer, which starts in verse 7. Well, you're flipping there, let me kind of talk about why I really want you to focus today, not just on, on the words that are in the Lord's Prayer, but the intention that is behind it. Have you ever run into a situation in your life where somebody takes your instructions at face value, but completely and utterly misses the intention of those instructions? Have you ever had that happen? Uh, for me, one of the most painful times that this occurred was... Uh, with my oldest son Tyler playing soccer um, his first pl- season playing soccer it was it was a, a huge season of ups and downs emotionally uh, before the season he was super excited that he was finally old enough to play a sport and he was very excited about being soccer because soccer is one of his favorite sports he watches a lot of European soccer so you know it's like Messi and these great players and he's like I- I'm so excited this is gonna be awesome this is gonna be amazing uh, we went to the first practice, and he thought it was fantastic. He was dribbling great. He's kicking goals. He's like, I'm the man. I'm the man. This is so amazing. Well, then we got to the first game. And the first game was the first time that he had had people intentionally, thank you, James, trying to stop him. And if you've ever been to a soccer game with uh, four-year-olds, it, it, it's not, let's just say there's a little bit of chaos, just a little bit. It's like herding cats all you really have is is two lines of four children running at each other full steam ahead until they run into each other and normally at any given time during the game half the people on the field are crying well so the first time we start the game about two minutes in ty gets taken out like he's running towards a goal and he just gets plowed over And he comes up crying, and he comes up confused, like, you're not allowed to do that. Why wasn't there a penalty kick or something? And I'm like, hey, this is how it goes, man. And so from that point forward, he really didn't want to get in the action. He was afraid of getting hit. So what was funny is I told him, look, either you got to get out there and deal with this, or we're done. We're not playing. This is part of how it goes. You get hit, you get back up. That's how it works. And so the next game, what I saw him doing was avoiding the ball completely. So he would just kind of stay back from wherever the action was. So I got upset with him that game, and I said, look, no. I understand you were on the field and you played, but you did not actually go after the ball. I need to see you moving. I need to see you running. So the next week what happened was is he did more activity than anybody else, but he never got to the ball. So what he learned to do was to take the longest route possible to wherever the action was. Granted, the entire time, he was at full sprint. But he would weave and circle everybody and cut through and go around. And the whole time looking at me like, not crying, and I'm running. I'm listening. And I have to be honest, it was one of those met moments. If you've had your children play sports and they're not unbelievably gifted, you probably had one of these moments Where you're just sitting there as a parent, like, I want to kill myself right now. (laughs) This is so painful. Right? You're just sitting there, and it feels like your soul is being eaten in front of you. And you're just like, I got to leave. I can't be here. Oh, my gosh. Luckily, three or four games later, he finally had this epiphany and started playing. Now he really likes the game. And it worked well. But I will tell you, those four games, that I had to sit through that. Oh, my gosh. Now, what was really funny is my dad enjoyed all of it because my dad's like, (laughs) payback. He's like, you remember all our coaching sessions in basketball, son? Payback right here. I'm like, you shouldn't be enjoying this so much. He's like, I am, though. I am. And so I share that with you because what was funny and what was a struggle for me (laughs) is every time I gave Tyler a new set of instructions, technically, he followed it. Right. Technically, he stayed on the field. Technically, he stopped crying. Technically, he stayed active. Technically, he ran hard. But what was he always missing? The intention. The point of the game is to get the ball and score a goal, son. And you never did that. You were very active, but your activity accounted for nothing. Similarly, I I think there's a lot of people who we experience this in a lot of different places of our lives. Some of us, we have different hobbies or activities or commitments that we have made that we just go through the motions. I've told you before, one of the ones that always gets me is like certain gyms I've been a, a member of. I will see the same people there every day doing the same workouts every day. And every day they look the same. No progress is being made whatsoever by anybody. Why? Well, because you're going through the motions. You're doing the bare minimum. You're doing what you think is necessary to to basically make your spirit feel like, okay, I've done enough. I'm okay. And to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, I think there are a large amount of Christians, this is exactly how they approach Christianity. They approach Christianity with a mentality that says, what is the bare minimum I need to do? And because they're approaching it with the bare minimum, they tend to completely and utterly miss the point of what Christ is talking to. And I think one of the places this happens more than anywhere is in prayer. And so if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, I want us to look at this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and I want us to understand... What Christ was really teaching us and what Christ's intention is for us because to be very honest with you I think most Christians and I think even a lot of people who wouldn't even say they're Christians just say they're religious would tell you that prayer is part of their life but I don't think the majority of them are actually praying in any way shape or form like God asked them to And what we have to understand about prayer is prayer is simply a conversation between us and God. And if our understanding of Christianity is that this isn't just a religion, it's a relationship. A relationship built on love and trust and commitment. Well, then us having good conversations is huge to that. I have never seen a strong relationship between people where they don't have strong conversations where they don't have the ability to communicate effectively. And so if you and I look at our lives with Christ and go, oh, no, I, I don't have a really good prayer life, or we don't really, I don't really get into a lot with him, then it's hard for me to believe you have a really passionate relationship with him. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 6 here and, and what Christ is saying to us. It says in verse 7, or verse 6, it says, But when you pray... Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as that is what the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. And so before he gets in this prayer, he sets up two two very important things. One... He is is setting this in contrast to what is so popular in his day and age. In his day and age, religious people want you to know they're religious. So a common practice back then for religious people would be to walk into the streets in your special prayer robe and loudly and publicly, in full sight of everyone, start saying your prayer. Now, brothers and sisters, when you do that, what are you really hoping to achieve? Are you hoping to achieve a a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God? No, you're hoping that people will go, oh, my gosh, look how holy that person is. Have any of you ever run into this at church where you've been asked to pray and you're terrified to pray? And a lot of you, you're not terrified to pray because you don't know how to pray. It's just you don't know how to pray like people on stage pray. Right, because so many people, when they get a microphone and get up on stage to pray, right, we we pray with these big, long, eloquent words, and it almost becomes like a sermon. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. My prayers don't sound that eloquent. Well, what Jesus is saying here is good. A real good prayer more often than not is going to occur with you alone, with God, in your room, by yourselves, pouring out your heart, not with eloquent words, but with real words, with real emotion. Right? How many of us, if we were going to have an intimate one-on-one conversation, would start it right here, right now in front of everybody? Or would most of us go, hey, I need to talk to you real quick. Can we, Can we grab a, a room over here so we can talk? That's how he would handle a deep, intimate conversation. And so Jesus is calling out all these people whose whole point in praying is for you to go, man, what a holy person. And go, no, a real, honest-to-God prayer should happen with you and him one-on-one. And the point of those prayers is not meaningless repetition of words. This isn't a game you're playing. It's not a cheat code. The point is for you to have a real conversation. This is why, brothers and sisters, I've always struggled so much with the Catholic traditions of prayer, where based on what you've done or not done, you're asked to do a certain number of Hail Marys or a certain number of Our Fathers, right? The whole point is this obedient repetition. And they will teach you, yes, that your heart should be in the right place when you say those things, but let's be honest. The moment someone says, say seven of these... What really is your focus? The number, right? I gotta say seven of these. And what we tend to get away from is, wait, did I just say one with a real heartfelt intention here? And so before he even talks about the structure of prayer, that's what he's hitting home first with. One, are your prayers really about you and God or are they about something else? And two, when you're praying to him, Are you really about the words and the conversation? Or is this about some just activity you do that makes you feel better about yourself? Right, are you the person on the treadmill who every day is weighing yourself in, every day measuring your waist, every day looking at your time, every day seeing if you're getting faster, seeing if you're getting stronger and you keep moving towards progress? Are you the person that just goes, hey, 30 minutes, let me watch a TV show. All right, I booked my 30 minutes, I'm good, I'll see you tomorrow. Right, One of those people's going to progress. One of those people is going to grow. The others not. And so that's the whole setup he gives us before he jumps into the actual structure of the prayer. So let's look at this prayer, and I'm sure most of you have heard it before. But it's important to understand this is a model, a model that he's giving us. And so he says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So let's break that down. That that, that start is huge. First off, he starts with the words, Our Father. You and I may take this for granted, but Jesus was cursed. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus made enemies because that's how he started his prayer, Our Father. Most of the religious people at that time were so afraid of God, they wouldn't even speak his name. Most people back then were so afraid of God, they didn't actually ever want to have a personal conversation with God. They wanted it an intermarriage, They wanted a, a go-between. They wanted somebody else that they could go, hey, I need you to take my intercession to God for me because I'm scared to talk to him in person. Why don't you go ask for me? And here's God, Jesus going, ah, that's not how we do things. How we start our prayer is we go, Dad, I need to talk to you. Dad, I need to talk to you. My father. What's he basing this on? He's starting with this premise that this prayer starts with an intimate knowledge of each other and a love of each other. Yes, God is powerful. Yes, God is mighty. But he's my dad. He's my father. He loves me. He cares about me. That's what we're going to start with. And it may seem like a little thing, but brothers and sisters, that's a huge thing. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if, if any of my kids ever called me father, I'd be like, that's weird. My kids call me dad or daddy, but not father. And I can tell you, even as a grown-up, if I walk into my parents' house, and be like, father, I need to talk to you. He would be like, and Luke, what is your request? Right? Like, we never talk like that. That's, that's, we're not that formal. And what's beautiful about words like that is think, raise your hand if in this room you are called dad. Go ahead, put them up if you're called dad. Isn't it funny a term that like 40% of the people in this room are called still means something to you? Right? Dad means something based on who says it to who, right? If my kid ran in here and said, dad, not every person in here would turn their head, but I would. Because I know that voice saying that name to me. Do you have that with him? When you say my father to him, when you say dad to him, does his ear turn to you because he knows you and you have that relationship? Then notice what he says. Is immediately, it's about intimacy. But then, our Father who where is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. What does he remind himself of right after the intimacy? He reminds himself of God's power. Our Father who's where in heaven. In the place of perfection, a place I can't touch, a place I can't be, a place I don't deserve, a place that only perfection and power and holiness can be in. My Father in heaven, who what? Hallowed, great, holy, awesome, mighty is your name. Reminding himself of what? That the Father I'm praying to doesn't just love me, He's powerful, He's God. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who knows all, who sees all, who can do all, and is everywhere. He's above everything. He loves me, and he's capable. And then the focus, right? So we we focus first on what? Relationship. I have an intimate, loving relationship with God, and God, he is holy and mighty and capable. I'm not. Right While we have this love, he and I are different. I am earthbound. I am limited. I am weak. He is heaven-bound. He is powerful. He is almighty. And then notice, before we get into any of my requests, what do we proclaim to him? Your will be done. Right, God, my biggest focus before I get into anything else in my life after acknowledging the love that we have and relationship we have and acknowledging your power and your might is to then also remember that the most important thing in this world isn't what I want. It's what you want. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because to be honest, God, if that's happening, right, if the perfect, if the almighty, if the holy, if the righteous, if what he wants is happening, then that's good. That's awesome. That means even though I may not fully understand what's going on, if I know those things are happening, I can have peace. Right? Then in verse 11, he finally gets to give us this day our daily bread. Do you see how long it took him to get to what he wants, what he needs? I mean, I'll be honest with you. This is, this is even for me as a pastor, and I, I like to think it doesn't happen as much now, but a lot of my prayers sound like me long, listing off a wish list. God, help me with this. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, help me here. God, I need help with this. God, give me wisdom. God, give me peace. God, give me patience. God, help me with this person. God, help me with this situation. God, give me strength on this. God, if you could heal this situation. God, if you could be with this person, right? It's a laundry list of wants and needs. And to be honest, not only is there a laundry list, a lot of times I jump right there. Right? Dear God, I need help with this. Dear God, help me with that. There's a brilliance to what Jesus is saying here, which is, hey, before you jump into what you need, remember who you're talking to. Because there's an unbelievable beauty when when we first sit down to pray and we focus on the fact One, God loves me. That's awesome. That the most powerful being in the universe, a being who knows no limits, no bounds, who is utterly perfect, utterly powerful, is beyond everything else in this universe. I get to call him dad. I mean, part of you, if you're just smart enough to even think about that truth, realizes no matter what else is happening in your day, If that's true, that's a good day. If the most powerful being in the universe loves you, cares about you, wants to talk with you, and calls you child, I don't really care what else you line up against that, that's a good day. Also, by remembering Who he is and where he is and what he can do. What does that immediately do to the size of your problems? It should shrink them. Right? When you remember, you're talking to the being that said, let there be light and the sun and the star appeared. And then you're coming to him because you're struggling with some project at work it kind of reminds you that to God, that probably isn't that big of a deal. That God's not terrified of your problem, that God's not afraid of your problem, that God's not confused by your problem, that God's not scared of your problem. God is completely capable of solving your problem. And in fact, when you take that problem and you really see it in the scope of everything, you realize it's not that big of a deal. I hate to say this to us because emotionally we don't feel this way, but I guarantee you when we get to heaven one day and we really get to see the cosmic scope of life, we will realize that many of the problems we cry about every day in the grand scheme of thing are nothing. I think in many ways, we will see the problems that we currently face today that weigh us down and cause dread in us being the same scope as the problems that the kids in Children's Church have currently. Right? Have you ever just laughed sometimes when your kid talked to you about, we, we play a game at our house where we every day we do high-low. So every day I ask them to talk about what was their high point of the day, what was their low point of the day. And sometimes these lows they give you are just hilarious, right? Well, Axel didn't sit next to me at lunch. I had to sit at the other table. It was terrible. Worst day ever. And you're like, that is not even remotely close to the worst day ever, son. Like, if that's the biggest problem you've ever faced, you've lived a very blessed life and we are good. But for them, it's huge. For them, that was the whole day. Now, will they remember that in a week? No. Will they remember that in two years? No. Will they remember that in eternity? No. No. And I think, honestly, some of our issues that weigh us down right now, while well, we think they're big, I think one day we'll have enough perspective to go, that really wasn't a big deal. And do you know why I say that? Because it's what's happened to me in every stage of my life. Right? Teenagers look at preteens and see their problems and go, oh, you little children. Right? But grownups look at preteens and go, you little children. And then my parents look at me and go, oh, you little child. So I'm pretty sure at some point we'll be all staring back at this whole life and going, fools, little children, how little you knew. See, what Jesus is trying to remind you of is have some perspective. If you just jump right into prayer and all you jump into the deep end of your problems is, you will feel overwhelmed. But if you remember before you approach those problems that you have a Father who loves you, that Father is capable and holy and perfect and almighty, then you start to talk to Him about your problems. You start to realize, well, they may feel heavy. Well, they may be bearing me down. In comparison to Him, they are nothing. They are nothing. And I can have hope and I can have trust and I can have peace that He can take care of them even though I may not know how to. Give us this day our daily bread. And then notice verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I love this because it hits two things. One, it hits that you and I need to not only be aware of our materialistic needs, but we also need to be aware of our spiritual needs. Right? I need the bread for my body to be sustained. I need these physical items to help me keep moving forward here on earth. But Father, I also, I also need my spirit to be right. I need my spirit to be in the right place. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, I think often we, we minimize that spiritual element. Right? We often will bring the sick up and pray for their bodies to be healed. But here's what I can tell anybody who's ever been sick. We will lose that battle. I don't care how healthy you are. I don't care what kind of medicine or doctors you have. I don't care if you're vegan, gluten-free, take 55,000 vitamins every day. You're going to lose the battle of your health. You're going to lose that. At one point, these bodies will die. So to be honest with you, when I see someone in the hospital, do you know what I'm praying for first and foremost? That their spirit's strong. that their spirit has a strength, that their spirit has a peace, that their spirit is right with God. That they have a strength to know that no matter what happens, I'm good. I'm good because the worst thing that can happen to me is, I get to go home with my father. That's the worst case scenario. And so I think another thing that Jesus is calling out to us here is, when you're praying, how much are you praying with a spiritual focus on your life? Right, Many people in the midst of a storm are praying for the storm to end, but very few are praying for, God, what can I learn in this storm? God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? God, what are you trying to do to my spirit in this moment? And I think he's saying to us, there should be an equal focus both on the physical need, but also on the spiritual need. Another beautiful thing that he does with this, right? Forgive us our our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is again, we're reminded of who we are. We in our culture, especially lately, have adopted a victim mentality. Our, our culture is so embedded in believing that our problems are not caused by us, right? It's the system, it's, it's, it's the government, it's society, it was this person, it was my enemy, it, it's anything other than what? Me. And well, brothers and sisters, I'm not blind to the fact that some of our problems are caused by outside factors. There's also a lot of them that are caused by you. A lot of them. And so here in in asking forgiveness, we're reminding ourselves of a few things. One, I'm not perfect. I mess up, and I mess up every single day. And every single day I need God to forgive me of the mistakes I make. One, that helps me be grateful to him, that he's willing to do that. Two, it makes me accountable that some of this is on me. And then also notice what it immediately does. It immediately then turns my focus to what? Forgiving others too. Right? If every day I'm going to God going, I messed up, I need some more forgiveness. Hey God, I messed up again, I need some more forgiveness. You know what that should generate? The ability for me to look at everybody else who's who's hurting me and go, hey, I forgive you too. Do you see at the core of this prayer is the restoration of relationship? the core of prayer is not about your wish list. The core of prayer is, am I right with Father and am I right with everybody else? It goes right back to that whole core of Christianity. Love God, love people. And then he finishes with this this simple statement, but one that talks to our focus. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is he saying? He's saying, I don't know what the future is. I don't know what the next few minutes hold. I don't know what the next few years hold. I don't know what the rest of my life holds. But here's what I will do. I will follow you. And God, what I'm asking is as I follow you, as you lead me, may you lead me well. May you lead me through the green valleys. May you lead me to the right place. There's a commitment here that comes back to these two parts of our relationship, right? The first starts with our father, the fact that he's my dad and I love him. And we end with the commitment which now comes from action that I'll follow. I'm going to follow you, God. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see here is, first off, the brilliance of Christ. It's amazing how well structured this prayer is. The second thing I want you to see is is this is a model. What I mean by that is, well, sometimes in your life, you might find it perfectly appropriate to say these specific words in prayer. More so you should be looking to put your own words in this structure. You should be looking for a way for you with your words and what situation you're in to pray like this. Realizing that you start by acknowledging the relationship. You then go to, hey, who is he and what can he do? Third, God, what I really care about more than anything is your will. So talk to me. What do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? Why have you put me here? What do you want to accomplish through me in this moment? Then, then get to what's so easy. Hey, here's all the things I need help with. And then coming to the end, concluding with, I'll follow you. God, I trust you. And where you go, I'll follow. Brothers and sisters, my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you look at this and you really use it to challenge the own way you've prayed. I'll be honest, I think the reason some of us struggle so much with praying and praying hard and praying long is because we don't really know how to do it. And because we haven't followed the framework that he's outlined for us, I think a lot of time we get bored in it. A lot of times it feels fruitless. And so we give up. We don't tend to put a lot of time and effort towards things that don't seem to show us benefit. But I'll be real with you. I think the reason we haven't seen it is we didn't really listen to what he was saying. I think funny enough, most people hear this, this passage And then they go, well, I guess I should memorize those words and say those. Which is terrible because the sentence before this, he said, don't just repeat meaningless words. We go and do exactly the thing he said not to do before he said to go do this prayer. And so my challenge to you, brothers and sisters, is really focus this week on praying with him. Praying with intention, praying with emotion, praying with purpose, and praying using this passage as a model of how you should talk. And I really, truly believe that if you will submit your prayers to this, if you'll abide by the instruction given here, you will see those prayers be fruitful. And you will find that you are growing each day, maybe even just a baby step, but little steps closer and closer to him. And that's what the whole thing's about. The whole thing's about is that each day we can lay our heads on our pillow and go, you know what? Today I'm just a little bit closer to him than I was when this day started. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us like you do. That we are your children is the most awesome gift in the world, Father. That you at any moment's time. Well, let us tug at your ear and share with what's on our hearts and our minds and our souls. It's such a gift. God, may we always be so presently aware of your majesty, of your power, of your awesomeness, your true awesomeness. And Father, as we pray to you this week, will you speak to us? Will you show us not just how to achieve what we want to achieve, Lord, but show us how we can achieve what you want to achieve. How we, Father, can be used by you to build your kingdom. How we can be used by you, God, to do things with eternal value. Father, I pray that you'll be with each and every person in this room and that you and your perfect knowledge will help them with what they need, Lord you'll give them the strength, that you'll give them the patience, that you'll give them the love that they need each and every day to make it through. I pray, Father, that you will always keep us aware of our failings, because when we know our failings, Lord, we we realize how great it is that you will always forgive us, that you'll always wash us clean, that you'll always restore us. And I pray, Father, that generates in our hearts a desire to be loving and forgiving and merciful to all the people we run into. May we truly be your light in the midst of this dark world. Father, we love you, we serve you, and we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask as Maria leads us in song that if uh, any of you have anything on your heart that you want to pray about, that you just would like to know that somebody else is, is praying with you, feel free to come forward. I'll be up here at the front. Brother James uh, will be out uh, back there in the back. And we're always here to pray with you. And again, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, know that you can always seek us out afterwards to talk to us about what's going on in your life. Right?
1: Let's all stand. I'm no stranger to the prison I've worn shackles and chains but I've been freed and forgiven yes I have I'm not going back I'll never be the same that's why breaks him down to his knees. God, I've been broken more than a time or two. Yes, Lord, then he picked me up and showed me what it means to be a man. Come on, By the
0: blow. In my head I always sound like Tori and Wells on the radio, but when I sing it out loud with my real voice it doesn't sound that way. <laughs> um, I wanna thank you guys for worshiping with us today. It is always a blessing to be in God's house with you all. Remember, of all the places you are throughout the week, you know, at least in this moment, you are in a perfect place. Because you're in God's house, surrounded by God's family, doing the one thing you were built to do, which is to bring him glory. Remember as you go throughout this week that you have been given God's spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. That means you're dangerous. Say I'm dangerous. That was not very convincing, but all right. I'll have to work on that. I guess it's good that you're not good at intimidation. I'd be kind of scared if you were. But you also have a mission. It's to go outside these walls and to make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. So get to it. I love you all. Have a great week.